Hello, thanks for hitting play. This is The Sunshine Bridge, a new show that shares the diverse perspectives of people in the Louisiana area and the work of those who serve their community. Pets for Life is an outreach program of the Humane Society of the United States, which aims to provide free pet care resources to underserved zip codes. Paula Shaw is the program manager for the project here in Baton Rouge. We're in her van, filled with bags of kibble and other pet care supplies, just before she heads out to visit communities in 70805. She's telling me about how PFL works and her experience in animal welfare. There's this progression in animal welfare, I feel like, where we want to, there's rescuers in animal shelters that want to be sort of the hero and, you know, rescue the animals, save the animals from the bad pet owners. And then there's been this progression to, and I have lived it, when you're in an animal shelter, you're seeing the animals come in and, you know, you're just judging, you know, half the time you don't even see the owner. But by the condition of the animal, you're like, oh, how could they, how could they let their animal get like this? You don't know the whole story, you know? And then one thing that happened in 2016, there was this huge flood and I was working at the animal shelter at that time and we took in 600 animals in two to three days, which is far more than we would normally take in in a month. And those people had no choice but to leave their pet because where they were going, they, you know, to evacuate, they could not take their pet. They did not know when they would be able to see their pet again. And there was hysterics on both the animal and the person's part. Like I could cry now thinking about it, but the human animal bond is, is something serious. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's way more important than people would think. And I think in the underserved communities, a lot of times, you know, when they don't have very much, the animal is that much more important to them. It could be the only thing that brings them a lot of joy. So when just through that experience and meeting the people that were dropping off the animals, um, and then trying to return the animals to the owners, trying to contact them. Um, I just saw the challenges that they go through on a day-to-day basis. And there was so much less judgment on my part from the shelter standpoint. And what I also realized is if a lot of this community had the resources that they needed, the pets wouldn't have to end up at the shelter. That's that's just like a small portion of it even. The pet owners in this part of the city, they deserve to have a pet just as much as anybody else, and they deserve access to it. Mm-hmm. So to care for that pet. So if you think about it, you know, if they lack in finances, transportation, all of the things you know, for themselves, of course, it's going to lack, you know, where their pet's concerned. So this is one, you know, about community Mm -hmm. and about um, helping with the human animal bond that Mm -hmm. exists in low income communities. But two, it also sounds like it's um, this is about actually keeping more animals out of shelters. Yeah. Yeah. Does that actually happen? What kind of data have you seen? It's hard to to quantify that um, because not every Pets for Life group is affiliated with an animal shelter. And then there's also outside um, 
factors like if we have a hurricane or a flood and you'd have an influx of animals, it's not an influx of animals because they don't have access to the normal things we provide like spay neuter, um, flea medicine, you know, housings, dog houses, that kind of thing. That's due to a natural disaster. So it's, while it's hard to quantify, I feel like it's an obvious plus. And we're doing a lot more just in the last couple of months since, well, and since the pandemic, trying to provide things so that they, how do I say this? Like to stop them before they even get to the shelter. And the big one is to help them get back out of the shelter to their people. So if animal control picks them up because the dog keeps getting loose, I will go track down the owner, say, look, if I give you, you know, a dog house, maybe we build you a little fence, um, you know, have like a, a light cable runner. Nobody likes a dog on a chain, but you know, nobody mm -hmm. likes to euthanize a dog in the shelter because there are too many. Right. So we, um, you know, we want to be proactive, but then on that end, we're trying to be reactive in finding the solution to get them back out to their people. So, I mean, what kind of hard choices do you wind up having to make? Because it sounds like this is, this is a lot more uh, complicated than, okay, so we want to help out pet owners to have better access to vet care or whatever they need to take care of their pets. Mm -hmm. what, what, kind of, um, yeah, what kind of choices do you wind up having to make to, to deal with that in like the real world? If you're talking to someone who has always um, handled their pets a certain way, so they don't spay neuter because you just they just don't. A lot of them, they have puppies, and sometimes that's a means of income. Nobody likes to hear that. But when I'm out there, I have to make the choice to not judge that person because, of course, I like, you know, I'm an advocate for spay neuter but they can immediately tell if I'm judging them or if I, you know, have some, it's just, it's an energy, like a vibe, like it's a very nuanced thing. And that's one of the things my mentor with the Humane Society was fantastic is helping me to have those kinds of conversations. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard for me, the choice to just say, okay, well, here is, you know, a list of reasons why spay neuter is a good idea. I'm not going anywhere. Give it a, you know, give it a while. Think about it. Call me if you need me. So I want to, of course, go back and say, you know, two days later, hey, did you think about it? But <laughs> we don't do that. We go back, you know, maybe six months later just to check and see what's going on. Sometimes they will even have had a litter of puppies and then I also have to make the choice as to whether or not I'm going to say, well, what are you going to do with those puppies? You know, it's, I guess the hard choices I have to make and everybody, you know, you're lying if you say that you don't, but I have to make the choice to not be judgmental because that does nothing. Um, I think that's probably one of the hardest things but I also see if I make the decision to not push it, if I just show up as a friendly face, then 
say they've had that litter of puppies and maybe they're like, I'm sick of these puppies, whatever. Um, they'll call me and they'll say, all right, let's do this. So because I didn't lecture them and I didn't, you know, pass judgment, then they feel comfortable enough to call me when they want to. And sometimes they may not. And you know what? It's their pet. You know, I can't tell them what, nobody tells me what to do with mine. I'm not going to tell them what to do with theirs. So how do you feel like the, I guess like a cultural difference? Do you feel it in any other ways other than, you know, just this kind of white savior question mark that maybe is put on you maybe as soon as you walk into the neighborhood, you know? You know, it's funny though. One of the things that helps attract clients is the fact that I do stick out because I'm very fair. And so you know, one of these things is not like the other. So people will kind of look at me twice. Um, but there's also a concern that I am child protective services, the feds, some, you know what I mean? Some sort of organization that's coming in to take something from them. Whereas I have to be very quick to say, like, I'm here to provide. I'm here, you know, my name is Paula. I'm with Pets for Life. We provide free pet care, you know, and I get that out real quick, you know, but the beautiful thing about this community is word spreads. And so once they know, you know, oh, hey, she's here, you know, for good stuff. Don't, don't worry about her. Then they know. And they'll be like, oh, that's a dog lady. You know, she's, she's not going to, you know, give us any trouble. And I think that um, as far as the cultural difference I I respect it you know I check myself um, if I feel like I'm reacting in a certain way to something in their um, community that is maybe something that I don't understand or I'm familiar with or agree with or whatever that's not why I'm here I don't care what they're doing what if it's good bad whatever it's not it's not my business I stay in my lane as they say around here, and I am just here to provide, and that's it. But I will say it's a different community, obviously, than where I live, but I love it. It's a beautiful community, and they are more resilient and strong than any other group of people I've ever met in my whole life. Mm-hmm. So I consider it a privilege to, um, to do this job. What are some of like the common, like the common problems? Like what kind of stuff do you run into like a lot? Um, the spay neuter is a big one. A lot of, there's a lot of misconceptions about spay neuters, so people don't do it. And if you think about it, if it's someone who just really, maybe they've heard about spay neuter, they're not so sure what, you know, the deal is, you're telling them that you want to take their animal put the animal under anesthesia, perform an operation on it. And I mean, that's a huge thing. Like they love their pet. They're, they're not so sure. So that's where the building trust and giving them the information about the benefits so they can make the decision for themselves. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of the people are super relieved to find it out, you know, find out that that's a possibility because they don't want to have 37 litters of puppies. You know, because it's a lot, it's a lot to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, what's like the most litter, litters of puppies that you've seen? You know, like how many generations have you seen? Oh, like gosh. In one place? 
Um, so there's the dog that I know has had the most litters is there was one dog that I, I know she'd had at least five litters and she was a big dog, big dogs, big litters. Um, and then I've also seen a generation of like four or five. It was a family of, of chihuahuas and the oldest chihuahua, in fact, he just passed, um, like last month, maybe that dog was 25 and he, 25. At, he was 25 oh years God. old. And when I met her, she had, I want to say she had close to 30 chihuahuas and they're all teeny tiny and they were her children. She, I couldn't tell them apart. Everybody had a name, but it was like one big family. And that was amazing to see that. But she did not know about spay neuter. And even, you know, if she really did spay and neutering 30 dogs, I, who can afford that, you know? Mm -hmm. So we got everybody done. You got all 30? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. That's a, a whole lot. family. <laughs> yeah. That is a, a lot. lot. And she's, um, she's wonderful. I, you know, try to follow up with all my clients every so often. And, uh, she's one of my favorite. What do you think needs to be worked on? The importance of pets should be understood at a higher level, like in the city parish and, you know, the state and that kind of thing. So these are, these services are more available than just me, you know, walking down the street. Cause there's only so much, you know, one person can do. Um, I really, really think that the misconception needs to change about people in these areas because so there's the animal welfare people, the rescuers, the animal shelters, all of that. And I was, I can say this because I was them. I know exactly. I've said it all. I wouldn't, you know, if you love your dog, you would never put it on a chain, this and that, whatever. I'm here to tell you that they know you're judging. Do you think that they're going to come, even if they can get a ride to the vet or they have a question about something, why they're not going to subject themselves to being judged like that when really and truly, if you look beyond the situation, there are countless situations that are exactly like this. So somebody you know, found a dog running down the street, is skinny, don't know who it's for, so they bring it home. They don't want to call the pound because they don't want them to kill it. And that's, you know, they have that conception. So that's one other thing I'm trying to change is the conception of, of animal welfare for them. So it goes both ways as far as that's concerned. But so the, you know, say they take the dog home, they feed them as best they can, they don't want it to get hit by a car so they you know they have a tree they wrap you know get them a little chain and collar wrap it up feed the dog make sure the dog has shelter you know the kids after school will go out and they'll play with the dog and you know dog is good um you drive by you know or whoever that's not familiar with that and doesn't realize they are just like us they don't want the dog to get hit by a car they want to make sure the dog you know, eats, they don't want it to go to the pound because they don't want it to get killed that way. So they're doing what they know, um, what they can. And, you know, if we can keep them out of the shelter and keep them with their people, 
it's going to take a lot of like understanding. I feel it more than anything, the animal shelter, um, animal welfare needs to change the way they look at it so that mm -hmm. we understand the importance of providing for the community that doesn't have access. Really, it's just you that's coming into these neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. This also sounds like the sort of thing that, you know, a person, a person in Baton Rouge, a person elsewhere might hear about and think, oh, this is an organization that interests me. Um, one, it seems like the volunteer opportunity is limited for a variety of reasons, which yeah. you could tell me about. Um, but two, what is someone able to do if they're not able to volunteer to help to help a situation um, for a, a community that that has limited mm -hmm. resources yeah, um, yeah. Um, volunteers for this in particular there's different ways you can volunteer but I have to be very um, selective about who I bring out into the community because if somebody for whatever reason says something or says something judgmental or I don't, I don't know. They just really have to get it. They have to understand why we're there, that we're not going to take their pet. That's like the number one. We do not take their pet. Like, oh, do you want me to take it? I'll take it and find it. No, like the pet stays here. So because if I bring someone with me who doesn't get it and offends someone, that's going to hurt my, I guess, my credibility. It's going to hurt the trust that I've worked really hard to build. And if I'm going to bring somebody with me, they have to really, they have to understand why we're there, I guess, and really want to be there. Because it's, you know, it, it can be shocking, you know, um, I mean, you know that at first. So there are other ways, though, you know, people can make phone calls, they can put in data, like sort of the clerical part that's not so much fun. Um, you know, we always need people to transport pets um, to the clinic, drop off supplies, that kind of thing. So there's lots of, you know, I guess, actual ways to, you know, volunteer. But we also always need things like dog houses, um, litter boxes, like all anything pet related. You know, we need that. So I have one person who every month she sends me two big bags of cat food from Amazon and shows up at the door, you know, and I have a apartment complex where they feed a colony of cats. And like, I know every month that food is going to come and I go and I take it to that complex and everybody's good. And that is making a huge difference, you know, so they're not, you know, physically here doing it, but I mean, that's enormous. That's an enormous help. Right. So, I mean, somebody listening, Mm -hmm. might hear this and say, oh, I know a community maybe next door that isn't doing so well. Should I go and just like drop off cat food to them? Try this at home or don't try this at <laughs> home. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, if you can provide something, you should always, you know, you should provide it. But what Pets for Life, like, I guess what I hope people will lean towards is don't promise something you can't continue to give um so if you bring cat food to the people and they're like oh my gosh thank you so much like 
you need to let them know, hey, I can't always do this, but here I want to I want to give you this provide you know this for you right now. But it's just so hard. So we make sure, or we the program makes sure that what we're going to provide we provide for everybody um, the same thing. So. You know, we have our list of spay neuter, all that stuff that we do. We do it across the board for everybody, and that's it. Word spreads really fast. So I think that, you know, there are a lot of people, even here in Baton Rouge, that just on their own will take care of a colony here or there, or on their way to work, they know there's somebody who has a dog. It looks kind of skinny, so they'll bring them some food. And that that's great. I mean spread the kindness around. One of the things I hear a lot in the community is, oh, I'm surprised you came back. You know, because a lot of people will, for human reasons, animal reasons, whatever, come in and do all this stuff and then they never come back, you know? So like with me, I'm gonna come back and then I'm gonna come back again and check on you. Um, but the hardest part of that, I guess this is going back to like, I guess part of my job that I don't like is there's only so much like I would visit all of them every day if I could a lot of them don't get to see and talk to people you know if they're elderly or whatever like I'm the most conversation they've had you know in a long time um that's the hardest part is like I, I care about all of them but I there's so many of the clients and, um, just on a, on a human level, you know, they're impoverished. A lot of them, very impoverished. I'm here to provide this for your pet. I can't, you know, I can't go to the corner store and buy you a pack of cigarettes. I can't like, I have to draw a really hard line. And sometimes, you know, they don't even have lights on or, you know, they don't have anything to eat. And that's really hard. It's really hard to draw the line between, you know, what I can do for their animal and what I can do for them. Cause I mean, it's anybody with any empathy and compassion is going to want to do everything they can, but yeah, that's, that's really hard. You know, it seems like there's, um, there's just kind of a lot of kind of push pull between between empathy and then judgment mm. with the kind of work that you're doing, what kind of, I guess, lesson or what kind of thing have you, have you learned that maybe other people could, could hear from and, and um, just understand a little bit better from, from the work that you've done with respect to, to these ideas? I think um, the biggest, biggest thing that I've taken away that I want people to understand, you know, and it's kind of the slogan is a lack of resources doesn't equal a lack of love for a pet. You can't judge a book by its cover, just like they always say. You know, if people would provide instead of punish, that would go a really, really long way. Um, you know, if you don't like that the dog is on a chain, um, there's an organization in North Carolina called Beyond Fences that, you know, they'll build you a fence. You know, so it's sort of like, okay, you don't like the way these people keep these, keep their dog or not don't like, but you don't, you know, approve or whatever. 
and they're doing the best they can and they love their dog you don't want it to go to the shelter it shouldn't go to the shelter it's their dog they love it all right build them a fence what's your favorite part of doing this when i can look at a client and know what we provided has significantly improved the quality of life for the animal and the person and they wouldn't have had the access to it for really any reason other than I knocked on their door because that's what we do we walk down you know the street knock on every door um and so that is the most rewarding part and I think a lot of times too you know you have to kind of work on <laughs> breaking down the walls you know I had one lady that she finally answered the door and I knew she had a dog because she you know I would knock on the door and the dog would bark so I caught her one morning and she most people do answer the door but she for whatever reason didn't want to she opened the door and she'd heard from the other neighbors what I was doing and she just looked at me she says all right I don't like you I don't trust you but I love my dog what you got I'm like wow all right cool um but then slowly like you know I would stop by and like leave her you know some dog treats or whatever and just like we eventually you know she's like all right let's go ahead and let, let's do this thing let's go ahead and spay her I don't want no puppies so that's that's really super super rewarding I guess I've seen people respond to the van oh yeah <laughs> yeah and that's part of the program's um I don't know strategy is to be accessible and to be seen like you more or less know where to find me you know and the van is, is a big part of that um and then you know everybody knows everybody in this community so they'll be like oh yeah i saw a dog lady she's up um on the other side of the neighborhood now you know you go over there you'll catch her so that's uh it's just beautiful to be like i feel like this is my community now too like i'm a part of it Thanks for listening to The Sunshine Bridge. It's a new show with the aim to highlight those who serve their community in Louisiana. You can email the show with questions and comments at thesunshinebridge at gmail.com. Show music is by Arnav Srivastav. I'm Elizabeth Eads. <laughs>